You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, everyone. I am Martina Cunha, and you are listening to Backstage Talk. Jonathan Larson asked, how can you make someone take off and fly in one of his songs from Tick, Tick, Boom? And I, for the past two years, have learned one way to do it, through the power of community. Welcome to the Latinx in Musical Theater special for season three of Backstage Talk, where we will be featuring artists from across all positions in musical theater, from several Latin American countries and different Latin heritages. I am proud to showcase my Latinx family. I hope you enjoy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Backstage Talk. Today's guest, I am super excited to introduce you to Eric Ujoa. He is a 2020 American Theater Wing Jonathan Larson Grand Finalist and a 2020 Cliven Prize Award Finalist. He is also the author of 26 Pebbles, which had its world premiere at the Human Race Theater Company. This play was featured in American Theatre Magazine, The New York Times, and won the Kennedy Center Citizen Artist Award for 2017. This play, 26 Pebbles, was named one of the top 10 plays of 2017 and one of the top produced plays nationally on uh, during the year 2018. Eric is also the librettist of the musical Passing Through, which had its world premiere at Goodspeed Musicals in summer 2019. He is also the writing assistant of Oscar winner Alex Dinelaris on the upcoming screen adaptation of uh, Jekyll and Hyde, the musical. He also wrote Viva Broadway, Hear Our Voices special, writing for luminaries as Lin-Manuel Miranda, Antonio Banderas, Cheetah Rivera, and many more. He also, because he is a bag of wonders, is the author of the play Reindeer Sessions and is the co-creator of Meet the Alphabets for Nickelodeon Nogging. On the other side of the footlights, Eric was in the original Broadway company of On Your Feet, the story of Gloria and Emilio Estefan. And he also has appeared in the 2016 Tony Awards, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, and a Capitol Fourth. Eric, thank you for being on Backstage Talk. I am super honored to have you over. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. Uh, it's always so embarrassing hearing your own bio. <laughs> ah, no matter how many times you hear it, you're like, your cheeks always get red. 
Oh, thank you. <laughs> but you've done a lot. I mean, you've been on stage, off stage, you write, you perform, you do a lot of things. So I want to ask you, what was your aha moment? Um, or when did you choose the thespian path in life? Oh, goodness. Um, well, so to get to that, so I started off in life, um, uh, I wanted to be a Disney animator my entire life as a kid. I wanted to animate for Disney. In fact, if you look at my like school memories, little like workbook that my parents kept and I would fill out every year. I think when I was in kindergarten, it said I wanted to be the president of the United States and an animator, you know, two likely career goals. They work hand in hand. Um, eventually the presidency went away and I wanted to be an animator for years. And then when I was uh, around 13, 14, I took a course in animation and kind of learned, I thought, I just walk into Disney because my my drawing skills and I'd walk in and they'd be like, hey, you're in charge of creating the characters. You make the characters. No, that's not how it works. Uh, you work for years and years and years on all like to make the character's arm move a little bit. This was back in the day of like hand-drawn animation. So, you know, a hundred drawings to make Ariel's arm, you know, come out once. And I was like, oh no, I am not, that is not for me. I am not that kind of person. Uh, I am much more like an ideas guy and I like to create and the idea of just doing <laughs> hundreds of drawings to make an arm move. I was like, no, I can't do this. So at around 14, 15, I just had no idea what I wanted to do. And I was, don't listen, kids. I was skipping class one day in high school. Um, that's, that's the unofficial story, but it's true. But something good came out of it. But don't skip class. Uh, I, I, I was nervous I was going to get caught. And so I hid out in the back of the auditorium of my high school. And because they had all these, you know, tons of chairs. And if you're in the back, no one could see you. So I was hiding out in the back because I was so scared I was going to get caught. Because I was trying to be a, a rebel and I'm, I'm not. And... Uh, <laughs> I saw them rehearsing uh, their spring musical, which was Little Abner. Little Abner is a show that's rarely done. It's an old 1950s um, musical comedy based on the famous comic strip from back in the day. I had never heard of theater, musical theater. What was this? You know, I come from a family of Cuban immigrants. We never went to the theater because it wasn't something that was in our sights or, you know, even when I was younger in, in, our, in our economic world, to be honest. Um, And I was like, what is that? I'm like, so I got a ticket that night and came back and saw the full show. And that was the aha moment. I was like, oh, not only do I want to do that, but very arrogantly, I was like, I can do that. I know <laughs> I can do that. And I showed up weeks later to the audition for Fame, the play version slash the musical. I, it was a hybrid. And I showed up, I'm not even joking, dressed in a denim shirt with little bandana tied, just like Antonio Banderas in the Evita movie. Literally the costume. And I sang, oh, what a circus, uh, acapella. And the teacher was like, who are you and where have you been? And I just dove in because they created such an open gate for me. And I dove into theater. I just, I loved it. And everything else went to hell. <laughs> <laughs> All I wanted to do. And I, and I really learned that, uh, More than anything, I've always said that I, I, I'm a storyteller. I'm a creative. I, and it was a new way of telling stories I didn't know existed. I love it. I absolutely love it. I mean, you went from badass 
or try to want to be badass no, into a theater guy. <laughs> literally, like outside, like, yeah, I'm in a skip fourth period. And then I saw like the security car drive by and I went running, <laughs> running to the back of the auditorium and hiding. I love what a rebel. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So you started in high school, your journey in musical theater started in high school. And how did you get to Broadway and into writing musical theater? Oh, gosh. So um, so I went to college at the University of Central Florida. And, you know, people, I, I often get asked a lot, you know, is, is college a necessity for performing? And I always tell my story, which for me it was. I started very late. I did not start musical theater until I was 16, you know, almost 17. So I only had a little bit under my belt. Um, I was able to kind of learn more about what I did and refine my craft those four years. Also, you know, you had an opportunity to audition and maybe be in a, you know, a show per semester. And I was very fortunate. And from my, from my freshman year on, I was in a show every semester. So I had every, you know, six months, whatever, a chance to be in a full production, more stage experience, more, um, more, you know, experience just uh, on, on all the, and then in classes on mechanics and, and, and acting and voice, you know, studio and everything. Um, what I also love more than anything, and I think is a big thing that I always try to tell a lot of students and, and people in the theater and wanting to be in the theater is that what I learned and uh, was the history. And I, to this day, can tell you the most random facts about musical theater history, but they're important because they kind of, they taught me about the fabric of what I was wrapping myself in, you know? Mm -hmm. And it the more and more I learned about it, the more and more... I don't, I was like, I don't want to just wrap myself in this fabric. I want to be in the fabric. I want to like get in there and like be a part of this tapestry and create stuff. Um, my senior year, I took an advanced directing class. I'd like, you had a directing class you would take. And then some students that wanted to do it based on the recommendation of the teacher could then be considered for the advanced directing class, which had like seven, six students a year. And I was chosen as one. My professor, Mark Brotherton, who passed away last year, but he was a huge influence on me. He um, he taught me about what I always say, when you're an actor, you always, and not everyone, but most actors focus on looking out from the proscenium. And when you step outside of that, you realize how much is around you in the proscenium. You see the full picture. In fact, whenever I'm a, a show of mine and we're during tech and I see actors are sitting around talking, Backstage, I go, get out to the house, get out there and take a look at the world you live in. Like, take a look at the full picture so that later on, when you're sitting upstage and you think you're sitting in the darkness, you're not sitting in the darkness. There's an amazing light happening on you that's telling a story beyond what you may know. Because So I try to get them to see the full picture of things. And that's where I started learning the full picture of things. Um, I'm going to go real quick so I don't bore your audiences, but I got to New York. I was very, uh, I was very fortunate. I, I, my first, one of my first jobs, I came to New York to audition, uh, to, to, to meet an agent that was interested in me in college, forgive me. And she sent me out an audition was like, you're never gonna, you'll never book this, but just go and I want to see how you do. Uh, I booked it. Uh, and two weeks later I had, I moved to New York with this huge production of Follies to be in for Sondheim 75th. I got my equity card. Right away, I got my agents right away at a big uh, agency. Uh, I met Stephen Sondheim and started what was a nice friendship. You know, uh, I, I had my first review was in the New York Times by Ben Brantley. So really, 
we jumped into the deep end. Uh, there was no kiddie pool uh, to start with, but it was very exciting. Uh, it started my career very well. And then uh, to get to the writing comes the part where my career just went and like just stopped. Uh, I had a, a really bad breakup and through it, because it was one of those, everyone has that moment where all your self-confidence goes out the window. And this was this moment. And I, my agents would call me, I would be like, what is happening to you? You know, people are calling and saying like, that you're just walking in the room and you know, for lack of a better word, you suck. <laughs> uh, and I just had no confidence in the rooms. I could not get a call back to anything, not even call back. Uh, I had moved to a new apartment in a part of town that I didn't really know and was dodgy, we'll use that mm -hmm. word. Um, I had a dog because I fought for the dog in the divorce. I was like, the dog's mine. And then I was like, oh my God, I have a dog. Holy shit. <laughs> so everything was very, and I was single again after three years, you know, so it was very a lot. And then one fateful night, I was sitting at, I got invited by my friend John McDaniel to go to the Drama Desk Awards uh, with him. And I went and I, at the party afterwards, I met a, uh, I call it, I call him pre-Kinky Boots, Billy Porter. This is before Kinky Boots even started out of town. I ran to Billy Porter. People introduced me. I knew who he was, of course, because I, you know, love and know my musical theater. And we became like fast friends talking. And poor guy, I must have bored the hell out of him because I was telling him my whole breakup story and all this stuff and how no one wants me anymore. And this, I can't book anything. And and only the way Billy Porter can do, he turned to me and he goes, so? I was like, so? I was like, what do you mean so? I go, I can't, I can't book anything. No one wants me. I can't, I feel so uncreative. I, I, what do, he goes, so is all you do is just flap your gums and say lines? And I go, what do you mean? He goes, you said you were creative. Go make something, go create something. You and know, that was his lap. <laughs> he, he, he bitch slapped me across the face and said, stop sulking. And I always, I, I will always, till the day I die, tell the story with him attached because he very much was the wake-up call I needed. And a friend of mine I knew who was an actor and was also a composer, uh, Caleb Damschoder, was working. He wanted to work on this musical adaptation of Brian Friel's Molly Sweeney. I knew he was playing with it. And I said, hey, would you, want, would you allow me to play with you on it? I don't really know what I'm doing, but I know I can write. And maybe I'm a good librettist. We'll see. So we started playing with it and started um, working on a musical version of it. And somehow, I still don't know how, got the rights to keep doing it. And, you know, kind of presented it. And that's how I got to writing. And then 26 Pebbles was the moment where it really landed. And people were like, oh, yeah, he's a writer. But, um, yeah, it was, it's been a crazy journey. But let me tell you, you never, never let anybody tell you that you, you know, they know where life was going to take them. You have no idea where life's going to take you. It's insane. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the last two years had taught us a little absolutely. bit on the hard way that that same thing. And I told a lot of people that, 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 look, you can either look at something literally or as a metaphor in some ways. Like the last two years, I've been very lucky. I've been very lucky and very fortunate to have had work as of writing and to also be able to employ a lot of people in my field for voiceover work on these you know, animated series and stuff like that. So it's been wonderful on my end. But for many people, they did not have that. And I always say, I always try to compare that to this breakup moment I had where I felt so lost and unable to find my bearings. This is a different version of it, but still lost and unable to find your bearings. These are the moments that I go, the people I think that in life 
really fly beyond what they think they're able to are the ones that allow themselves in these moments to not sulk, not just sit in it forever, but to say, okay, what else do I do? You know, you've had two years for people to think, what else do I do in this? And I think a lot of people, I've heard a lot of friends that have started writing, started directing, started writing a mm-hmm. book they wanted to do, sort of whatever it was. And I love that because if you're a creative, you're a creative, you know, and, and, and many people I know have incredible outlets that are that in, in multiple forms that are creative that are not just in theater that are you know friends that are working in you know uh, uh creating a uh, floral displays for a florist things like that that i'm like yes yes think beyond the box we can do a lot we're just not robots who say lines yeah absolutely so i want to ask you what's your approach to writing in musical theater since it's such a vast thing to do that's my pressure writing musical theater um so my, my first thing always is, and it's, it's a very, in speaking, you know, we'll, we'll stick with Sondheim since he's obviously his passing is so timely. He had a great rule about when something sings. I'm very, very particular. Uh, I'm tough about musicals as far as what, now there's some musicals that I enjoy that are, that are lovely, but it's very rare to find musicals that are meant to sing. And I, you know, I always look at it and, I think, does this story have to sing? Do the stakes of these characters need to be elevated by music and by vocalizing their emotion? Um, more so, and when it comes to adaptations, is the film a great film? Is the book a great book? Is it, Then most times I say, leave it alone. That's me. I say, leave it alone. I, I can't change that, but if something has a different thing or I can take a different take on it or I say, oh, this inspires me to tell the story this way, then that's how I first approach it. Um, you know, I like musical theater writing uh, and, and the approach into it because it, it is, playwriting is the loneliest sport on the planet. <laughs> it's just you and your laptop and your insecurities. And your insecurities are not a good friend. Uh, so that's, that's, and it's always like, and I joke when it comes to plays and that I'm, I'm, really good at not writing really good at not writing so i just sit there all day long and like okay i wrote two sentences time for twitter you know like something like that or you know it's it's and it gets worse and worse um but musical theater writing i love because i am solo a librettist i do not do lyrics i do not write music i have a brilliant writing partner and brett ryback who does that so beautifully and he's my writing partner on passing through and a bunch of other stuff that i can't speak of yet but It's exciting. Um, and he, I love collaboration. Um, I love when people call me out on my own bullshit. I love when people challenge me on what I think is ready mm-hmm. and great. A lot of times is not. Um, I think we suffer a lot of times from writers who throw things in and think that their first draft is the draft and that's just absolutely not true and if you think that you really need to rethink being a writer no one's first draft is their final draft um i just love the collaboration of it. i love the challenge of it i love the creation i love that i can write a monologue that i finish it and i'm like o'neill coming out of the house like i've done it my masterwork and then that monologue gets ripped out of my hand and turned into a song and no one sees my monologue that i worked so hard on But that monologue gets turned into the most beautiful child in this song that does the exact same thing times a million more than I could ever possibly do with just my words. 
so that's what I love about you know and, and my and my enter my that's my entrance into writing a musical theater how I get into it I that's thrilling like yes <laughs> like seeing your work being transformed once you yeah. think it's finished and then it pops up into something new and different but it keeps the essence of it I just love it yeah Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, so what advice would you tell a younger version of yourself? Oh my goodness, I, I know that's easy. Because I, 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 I say this when I, when I teach students, I say this all the time. Um, I wish I had known, just be yourself. Just be yourself. You, there, will be, there will never be a better version than what you are. And for years, because I think sometimes in our educational institutions, there's this really bad habit, and bless professors, they don't mean to do it. But I want to say out loud, stop doing it. Stop telling your students to emulate someone. I hate that. You can look up to, you can have someone that is like your mentor in your mind. I have many mentors, whether mentors I've physically met mm -hmm. and worked with. You know, like Alex Dinalaris, who was a mentor of mine in writing and helped me in the movie world. Or mentors to me like Howard Ashman, who died long before I've ever, you know, and I never got a chance to meet him. But I sure as hell emulate the way he goes about creation. So mentors are great. To emulate someone, ugh, I think it's a really tricky thing. I think for years, like, I was in school and everyone's like, oh, you're a young so-and-so. You're a young. And I'm like, and, and I would go with that. And so I started trying to copy their sound. And I couldn't sound as great as that. And I couldn't, you know, when I first got to New York, everyone's like, you're like a Cheyenne Jackson. And so I had like, I started trying to like, and I'm, I can sing, but I'm not a Cheyenne Jackson singer. You know, like he does his own thing brilliantly. So like all these things that I put in my head and tried to be. And it wasn't until I walked into a room that I was like, here's me, here's my take on it. If you don't like it, I don't care. And you know what happened that day? I booked my first Broadway show. <laughs> That's what happened. The day I walked in and I said, I don't care, this is me. If you don't like me, I don't care. All I can do is offer me, I'm tired of this. Boom, Broadway. So be yourself, there's only one Audrey McDonald, there's only one Kelly O'Hara, there's only one Cheyenne Jackson. So be yourself, be Eric Oyoa. That's what I would say to myself. I love it, I love it. I, I... It's so needed right now because we always try to push aside what we truly are and try to be someone else because that is what people like. Yeah. But in the end, it's it's just a mix of what is out there and what we have to give to our industry. So, yeah. 100%. 100%. Yeah. 
I want to turn now into Latin's musical theater because you've written, um, as I said before, the Viva Broadway specials, um, and you've worked a lot with Latin's in musical theater in New York. What is visibility and representation for you? Well, it's interesting. It's oh, it's an evolution, and and this is for me. For me, it's an evolution. I've always been extremely proud of of being Cuban. My parents emigrated here when they were um, my mom four, my dad seventeen. You know, they started off life with nothing down in Hialeah in Miami. Um, anybody from Miami knows very well where the Cubans are. Hialeah. Um, they worked at the Opalaca Hialeah flea market. You know, we all I. I Used to hang out in the, you know, in their little area, their tent. Um, but so I've always been very proud of being a Cuban. God knows when I was 13 years old, my beeper, I'm aging myself, I'll be 40 in a month. My beeper case had a giant Cuban flag on it <laughs> at 13. Um, and my last name's Ulloa. You can't really escape that. Yes, my name is Eric Michael, but Ulloa, no real, not really passing, no matter how I look. Uh, Ulloa is Ulloa. Um, So I've always been very proud of it. I've always kept it deep. Um, I think, you know, we are Latins when they come, when they come here, especially immigrants trying to make it where they're taught to assimilate. And so a lot of assimilation happened in my family, you know, from moving from Miami to Fort Lauderdale. I used to joke that I've been to two or three quinceañeras. I've been to 34 bar and bat mitzvahs. Uh, if we're going by... By what I've been around, I am more Jewish than Cuban in my childhood. But uh, the so it's been a journey. And then it was when I was when I was in it was when I was in on your feet that I really got the full breadth of not only being proud of who I am, but to be loud and proud of who I am, and to make sure that I accept nothing less, and that beyond me, because I have an inherent privilege of, I think, you know, being white presenting, people meet me and they assume, like I always say from like Nebraska and I'm not, I'm from Miami, I'm, you know, I'm from, I'm as Cuban as they get. But because of that, I know the privilege I have to be able to, my, it's, that show struck with me a chord in wanting to put forward the agenda we all seek, which is more representation, fighting for more access, fighting for more uh, opportunity. And that as someone, that can weave in and out of the cracks of this business that can really suck at times to, to fight hard and fight passionately for my community. Um, so to me, representation, you know, it, it, it means it, it's an ongoing journey and every day it changes more and more. I'm, I, I become more and more vocal about it. And I, and I, 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 I stomach less and less bullshit about it. And people try to make excuses or don't you see I go, no, I, I see nothing. I see, I see minimal happening. That's what I see. Mm -hmm. And I expect more and I, and I demand more. So that's what happens. It's a growing journey. And how do you think that we can increase Latin visibility and representation specifically on Broadway? Um, well, we have to, well, we need to, op we need to open up and what I don't see. And this I, what I don't see is a lot of uh, Latin producers. I do, I mean, like, no, I, I can't, I can't think about it off the top of my head. I'm sure there has to be one or two, you know, and, the, and when I say producer, I mean the lead producer category, like 
what we would think of as the gatekeepers, the ones that mm -hmm. are on that magical list, like at the theater, you know, that. Um, I want to see more Latin casting directors because, look, we know our own communities. You know, unfortunately, I think a lot of times we have casting directors who are wonderful to our community, but they know 16 of us. And there are 600 of us, you know what I'm saying? Like there, there's so many more. Um, I, you know, we need to allow for uh, uh, writers, uh, cre uh, creators, choreographers, directors to have the, the, you know, the opportunity to create on these stages. You know, I put out that video with um, Roberto, you know, Arujo with the Despiertate uh, video. And it was all about, the idea that on the last, you know, on the last check-in with, you know, I think it was 2018-19 season on Broadway, there was, you know, the, of new shows, zero Latin choreographers, zero Latin writers, one, one, not percentage, one, you know, Latin director. Um, like, it, the numbers were all, like, below 5%, even in the performing things. And I was like, how is this possible? We are the largest growing minority. We are 20% of this country. How is that possible? Mm -hmm. You know, and yet, and, and also for producers and, and the higher ups and the powers that be to know that please do not to ask us to like write and create for Broadway and then expect us. Like I always say, they always want Wepa, the musical. We don't all write Wepa, you know, <laughs> um, there, you know, a perfect example, the best play award wasn't Wepa. It was the inheritance, you know, yes. an inherently in many ways, white story about a, about the, 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 you know, the AIDS epidemic and the generation that followed and what was left for us. But inherently, because Matthew is a Latin writer, it is a Latin play. It has themes of community, family, um, uh, uh, minority struggles. Those are all things that come from his experience, you know. His freaking aunt is Priscilla Lopez. You don't get much more Latin pedigree than that. But I think, and that's a two-part thing. You know, the powers that be need to see us and know that we can write anything we want, that that is a Latin show. But also our community, and you know, I, I, for all the love that I give to our community, I have to chastise us a bit. We have to be more vocal about these things. I saw very few people celebrating Matthew's win for best play, and we made history. It's the first time a Latin playwright won best play. We got to check one more box on that Tony thing that, you know, for, for Latins. And you know, we have to be loud and proud about these things and put it out there. You see on my Twitter, I always try to repost Latin excellence and just showcase people that are doing great things because we should be doing that, not just for ourselves. It's not about just us. If it's only about your own career, it's not enough. Like raise up your friends, make sure people know that Latins are all around us doing amazing things. And, and, and I think in our own community, we have to do that for others, not just for ourselves. It can't just be self-promotion or you're not doing the work. Yeah. I agree with you. We have to absolutely be more vocal and raise yeah. up Everybody. our community. Yes. No one else is going to do it. No one else is going to do it. Exactly. Exactly. So now that you mentioned that traditionally Broadway people expect a specific type of Latin show, like you just mentioned, they want this carnaval, they want this huepa, they want all of this that stereotypically is Latin, and it is, yes, it is part of us, but it's not the only thing we have to offer. What is the most important part for you when you are writing or performing Latin characters, when you are creating them? Um, I think the essence, to me, it's always an important thing is the essence of Latin 
the Latin people, the Latin community? What's the, you know, what's the essence of it? You know, family is very important. Community is very important. Culture, music, food. God help us all, food, number one. As I'm sitting here like on a full stomach from last night's family gathering, food. Um, you know, I think it's just uh, the, I, I, those, core, those core principles, I, you, know, go, you know, the honesty of what our community is. I don't think, you know, there's, there's room for all and there should be room for all because I do think like if somebody thinks that we're going to all of a sudden go from zero representation to getting to right place about whatever overnight, just that, no, there's got to be room. You know, Lin-Manuel has done a beautiful job of allowing the, uh, of, of showcasing us in many different forms for In the Heights, which is very much like, you know, like it has, it, it's, it is fully a Latino story. Then we have Hamilton. Which has essence of that in there somewhat, and in the way it's cast and the diversity of the story, uh, but it's not inherently a Latin story. But it is a Latin story because a Latin person wrote it, so it is inherently has all that in there. For every you know um, encanto, we have tick tick boom. Yeah. You know, again, all the things uh, you know in tick tick boom, there are inherently Latin themes in there because the, the creator wrote it. You can feel it if you're a Latin person. You feel it you can tell so i think just you know if we keep on going about things with the essence of who we are what we represent and and where our hearts lie then then it is essentially you're building a a, a true latin representation and character and writing i love it eric thank you so much i have loved every single second of this conversation oh, yeah, my pleasure. Um, i have Two last questions. First, where can people find you if they want to work with you, collaborate with you, um, see if you can end up being a, a writing partner? Where can they find you? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually I'm very good at social media. You can vouch for it. <laughs> um, I uh, you can find me on Instagram at um, the Ulloa T H E U L L O A, and then on Twitter, ugh, somebody have my name randomly, so it's the Ulloa two. So T H E U-L-L-O-A-2 on Twitter. I love it. And final question. What's your top five favorite musical theater shows? Oh, my goodness. Oh, how dare you, Sophie's Choice Me. <laughs> okay, I'm going to come at it from a writing perspective. Shows that, I think, shows that I think stand the test of time because they're written beautifully. Um, number one, always, Fiddler on the Roof. Perfect show. Perfect show. You can't screw it up. Um... Now, out of order, uh, Gypsy, Cabaret, A Little Night Music, random, random throw in there, and <laughs> I got to tell you, I think maybe Ragtime. I think this is a recent thing. I, the more and more I listen to Ragtime, I go, damn, that is a damn well-constructed show. Yeah. It's really good. And that sometimes those lines, Terrence McNally's lines will catch you off guard. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. Eric, thank you so much for being part of the Latins in Musical Theater special here at Backstage Talk. It's been an honor. Uh, you know how much I appreciate you. And I cannot wait to see where you are going next. Thank you. I, I, I look forward to more and more and, and with it creating opportunities for more Latin artists to come along the journey. That's the most important thing. We have to always keep a hand down and pull people up. 
Thanks everyone for listening to this new episode of Backstage Talk. Remember to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Backstage Talk Podcast. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.